Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and journalist who twice a week discusses military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. I do my best to cover our military, where it's at, what they're doing, where they might be going, and any conflicts and hotspots that could lead to military intervention. Besides covering this news, I also try to share some motivation and wisdom with each episode while also working as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So, once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the October 20th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. In this discussion, uh, I can't talk, guys. In this edition, we'll be discussing several things, including the latest news about the Russian drones striking Ukraine's power stations, what effect they've had to date. Then we'll move on to what the drones look like, what their range and characteristics are. Also, do the drones have a hidden purpose that's only just now starting to be realized? We'll talk about one possible additional effect that the Russians are going for, and then we'll talk about what Russian media are saying back home. Uh, It's true that the drones are knocking out Ukrainian power stations, but this isn't affecting the front lines, and things are as bad or worse than they were even a month ago. So wait until you hear what a Russian correspondent on the front line said this week. Then we'll also cover the latest news on the front in the south in the region of Kherson. We'll also follow up on the bridge strike that Ukraine pulled off. You might remember that a week or two ago. uh, What consequences are happening because of that. Then we'll step back from the war some in Ukraine. And we'll look at the question of could uh, the Russian drone attacks... Um, that and remember these drones are made by Iran could that affect how much Israel supports Ukraine this could be a big question so I'll briefly look at that we'll move away from again the war in Ukraine and touch on those protests happening in Iran I'll give you a real quick update on that and then we'll also do an update on the whole U.S. Saudi spat that you guys may remember Uh, the Saudis are going to cut down on oil production a bit as a part of OPEC, and that was kind of seen as a slap in the face to President Biden. So we'll do a quick little update on that. And then, as always, we'll end with our motivation and wisdom section. So stick around for all of that. I'll move through them all as quickly as I can, and I think you guys will enjoy, honestly, hearing just about all of it. So with that, let's get started. So the biggest news of late, of course, as you probably have heard, are the new drone attacks happening across Ukraine. They are unfortunately targeting civilian infrastructure, and it's not a good thing. They have, in fact, there's been well over 200 of these launched. And although the Ukrainians seem to be uh, basically knocking down probably somewhere between 60 to 80 percent, depending on who you believe, of these rather slow-moving drones, 
they are unfortunately hitting lots of electrical and uh, other infrastructure type um, targets, including water. And in fact, they kind of call Ukraine a little flat-footed and to date, almost one-third of the electrical substations in in Kyiv and in parts of Ukraine have been knocked out. So uh, President Zelensky, uh, he, he said nearly one-third of them have been destroyed. There's been some massive blackouts, and this has really angered both him and the Ukrainian people. And it's, it's having some other impacts around the world. I'll get into those in just a second, but uh, he actually put out on Twitter that there was no space left for negotiation negotiations with Putin's regime. And so these attacks obviously targeting civilian infrastructure just because the Russians can't do hardly anything on the front lines. In fact, they're getting beaten pretty badly on the front lines across the entire uh, basically battlefront. So they're now hitting these targets, hoping to weaken the morale of the Ukrainian people and hoping that they'll give in but, you know, if you look at things historically, especially like the Battle of Britain back in World War II when Germany just pounded Britain with air, just constant air attacks, all that did was make the resolve of the British people even stronger. So historically, these type of things usually do not cause people to give up. They actually usually do the opposite. So that's probably what's going to happen, but there's still in the short term the 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 reality that Ukraine needs to figure out how to stop these drones. So let's talk about the drones just for a moment. They're called the Shahid-136. They're what I'd call mid-sized. They're about uh, 8 feet, or they're 11 feet long, 8 feet, 8.2 feet wide on the wingspan. They fly pretty slow, actually, about 115 mile per hour, which for anything that flies, that's pretty slow. Uh, jets, of course, obviously fly six, eight hundred mile per hour or faster, and so 115. That's pretty slow for something that's in the air. Even most helicopters, uh, military ones for sure, fly faster than that, about 150, 180. Uh, they weigh about 400 pounds, and they do have unbelievable range. Uh, it's been estimated as up to 1,100. And again, Russia's buying these from Iran, and then they're loaded in these vertical launchers. They almost look like some kind of like vertical pizza type holder. There's like five or six of them in these vertical racks and they launch upward with this jet rocket that helps lift them. And then shortly thereafter, the jet rocket drops off and they just fly with this single propeller on the back of them. And they're just like this flying kind of triangular looking craft. And like I said, they don't even move that fast. I've got a couple of pictures of them in the uh, episode notes and also a picture of what the launcher looks like, which, looking at that picture again, it looks like each launcher holds about five. So they just have five of these um, V-shaped, you know, mid-sized drones that just launch out by rocket. And as I said, the... Oh, and one other thing, I, I did put in a video. You can hear what they sound like. They They sound like almost like a scooter flying by, but then they speed up when they aim down. They're GPS-guided, so there's not any crazy kind of targeting and they're pretty inexpensive so you basically type in the gps coordinates of an electrical substation and you launch a bunch of them at it and then of course many of them get intercepted and like i said earlier the ukrainians are shooting down a majority of these um, drones having said all of that um, one of the hidden things that some analysts are starting to talk about is that 
these drones are very inexpensive. Very, very inexpensive. You'll see different price analysis out there. But the main one you'll see is about $20,000 to $50,000 each. Which, by military hardware cost, that is like nothing. So these are very inexpensive if you're, a, you know... I guess Russia still considers superpower. But if you're a large country that has an economy the size of Italy, which is what Russia has, buying drones that cost twenty to $50,000 is not not too shabby. And so President Zelensky has said that, he had, that Ukraine has shot down 233 of these things in the past month. Here's the issue. These things cost, like I said, twenty to $50,000. And I'm sharing a thread in the episode notes that if you want to get into the weeds, it is, there's some, the amount of research that some analysts do is just crazy. But if you want to get in the weeds, I've got the link to lots of info about the drones, but also the cost of shooting them down. And what analysts are starting to do is they're looking at Basically, some of these missiles that Ukraine is using to shoot down these drones, like a a good example is like a Stinger, which is a shoulder-launched missile from folks on the ground. So we sent Stingers, so Ukrainian soldiers that use what are called Stingers or Man Pads, which is the other version, which is non-U.S. version. Those are about $120,000 a piece. So that's on the low end. That's the cheap missiles that can shoot them down. Then you start moving up. There's some uh, missile costs that are mentioned in this thread that I have the first tweet list to, listed, so you could click that and go read the, the additional details. But So let's move up to like an AIM-9X. Those are half a million dollars. Then there's an AIM-120. These are all type of missiles that shoot down things, and these missile costs that this analyst is quoting is were listed in the Washington Post. The AIM-120 is a million dollars a piece. Patriots, which aren't there, but those are $3 million. So this is where you start to get into some of the issues, which is that essentially Ukraine can shoot these down, but you're shooting down, you know, very cheap drones with very expensive weapons. And so this can't go on forever. The American taxpayers won't support it, nor will other countries. And so there are some other weapon systems out there that can shoot them down using um, rifle fire, um, using just regular bullets. You'll see videos now of Ukrainians, even civilians, shooting up in the sky because these things move so slow that if you amass enough rifle fire, you can't shoot them down. Now, there are weapon systems, especially that the U.S. has, that are like basically mini guns, and you can fire a bunch of bullets in the air, and then after... I'm sorry, after the rounds travel 2,300 meters, the rounds explode and basically self-detonate. Those are safer, but that's a very expensive system. There's land-based versions of it. Navy ships have them, but I don't think Ukraine has any of those now. So now European countries and American, obviously, advisors are starting to figure out what can we get over there to shoot down these drones in an inexpensive way. Because right now, if it's just a dollar-for-dollar thing, Russia could overwhelm air defenses of Ukraine. And so that's kind of a potential um, hidden goal of Russia that maybe it's more than just taking out these substations. Maybe it's about weakening um, Ukrainian air defenses because they're launching these missiles. They're using very expensive, sophisticated hardware to shoot down 
what are basically very inexpensive drones. So, like I said, in the detail, in the episode notes, I've got the link to that. If you want to really get in the weeds, it it's crazy how much you can get in the weeds on that. So, that's kind of the bad news that's happening in Ukraine. Let's balance that out with some serious uh, good news and actually loads of good news. So, let's start with the first part. So, first good part, number one. I've got in the episode notes about a 4 minute and 50 second video from Russian TV that's been translated. So you can watch this video if you want. Um, So these Russian media personalities, which if you've kept up with the war in Ukraine and watched some of these videos before, you'll recognize some of these media analysts, especially the woman who's um, always weighing in on things. And At any rate, they interview one of their correspondents and... The correspondent is in the Kursan area, and it is amazing to watch the video, but you realize very quickly that this that things aren't going Russia's way. And so this correspondent, who's Russian, and of course you can take all of this with a grain of salt, except for the fact that for once I think they're pretty much telling the truth. Uh, he talks about that the Russian soldiers who are trapped on the other side of the Dnipro River, we've talked about that in the past, that Ukraine had obviously knocked down some of the bridges. Again, that's something we've discussed. And But the Russians are using pontoon bridges and ferry crossings to try to get more supplies. But in some frontline areas, according to this analyst, they are outnumbered four to one, the Russians are. And he says the units trained that are fighting the Russians were units that were trained abroad to NATO standards and that they're using modern high-precision weapons. And so you can just see in his eyes that they realize these NATO weapons are better, these units are better, and they're outnumbered. And of course, this corresponds with, I wouldn't just be putting Russian media out there because I don't trust hardly any of it, except we all know that for weeks the Ukrainian military has been making gains in the South. So all of this is backed up by reality. The correspondent also talks about that those HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems are using um, GPS-coordinated artillery rounds. Um, And I apologize, they're using the rockets. They're also using GPS-coordinated artillery rounds. And the analyst says that some of the artillery rounds are being laser-guided, so they're even more accurate. On top of which, he also says that the Ukrainians are using counter-artillery radar. Now, we've discussed some of that in the past from the... Um, purchases that the U.S. has done on the military assistance, we've sent them counter-artillery radar. And, of course, how that works is if you're a Russian artillery piece that fires a shell, these radars can see the angle of how they fly through the sky. And it basically goes, figures out the coordinates of where it was launched from, and then, therefore, you can fire artillery back at where it came from based on its flight path. And so... The correspondent says that all of that's causing a lot of trouble for the Russian artillery. And he claims, and this is kind of a humorous part, that Russia is evacuating citizens because the Ukrainians will, you know, without any discipline, will target civilian structures. Of course, that's not the case. It's actually the other way around. But that was the Russian claim. Um, But this is what I really wanted to share. This correspondent says that the Russians will have to endure... And he says there won't be any good news in November or December. 
that there will be severe territorial losses in the next two months. And then he kind of gives his motivational spiel that defeating one battle doesn't mean losing the war. So that's literally what Russian media is saying. They're clearly getting the Russian people prepared for the fact that Ukraine is probably, in my opinion, going to have a, a major breakthrough in the south, just like they did in the east uh, in the Donbass region a month or so ago. Uh, it seems like things are really starting to to fall apart in the south as well. As our longtime listeners know, Ukraine had talked about pushing south for a while, and Russia moved a lot of forces over there, and then Ukraine actually hit in the east, drove deep, and then as Russia tried to deal with that, they're now pushing south again. So that's in the Kherson region in the south. And of course, the importance of that is not only is it an important capital that Russia took, it allows Ukraine to eventually push further south toward the Crimean Peninsula, which is their long-term goal. Russia sees that in 2014. There's a major naval base there. It is incredibly strategically important. And so... Obviously, the Ukrainians want that back badly because it can be used to allow the Russians to stage future uh, invasions or assaults. So definitely wanted to mention that. Now, those drones, while they are causing problems for Ukraine, there's one other thing that could be happening. I've got a link to the story from the AP that the... Iranian drones are starting to make Israel reconsider staying on the sidelines. And there's a few paragraphs I've got in there, but they're not real happy about seeing these missiles used. Um, the relationship between Russia and, and Iran is starting to cause some issues in Israel. Israel's been pretty much on the sideline, like I said, and they've tried to maintain relations with uh, Russia. But as Russia gets closer to Iran and buys these weapon systems... Israel is increasingly perhaps not on the fence, and I think the attacks against civilian infrastructure, it's just very hard to remain neutral when Russia is clearly just targeting civilian infrastructure right before winter, just as a way to punish the Ukrainian people and try to beat them. Um, now, the second big piece of good news is it would be huge if Israel were to get in, but there is already some more good news happening, which is we talked a week or two ago about the bridge that connects Crimea to the Russian mainland and how it had had a truck explosion, most likely, on it and damaged it badly. I've got a video in the source notes that shows because that bridge is damaged, truck drivers are having to wait three to four days to cross that bridge because it's down to one lane, depending on what source you believe. But... You can see in the video just the unbelievable length of this line of trucks that are tr that normally would be sending supplies and other things to uh, Crimea. They can't because I think the inspections are probably um, being much, uh, I guess, more, I don't know the right word, but severe because they don't want another truck bomb on there. But also there's just not as much, not as many lanes to traverse to Crimea, so... That bridge strike the other day is having some pretty serious effects, and so that's really good to see if you're if you're pulling for Ukraine, as myself and most of the West are. Okay, I think we've covered Ukraine enough for the moment. Let's talk about 
Saudi Arabia and the spat that has happened with President Biden in the United States. We covered that a week or so ago, and it has not gotten any better. It's probably not going to get any better in the short term. There's been lots of discussion about some uh, legislation that could be put through Congress, but I wanted to share some additional potential uh, reaction. This is from Senator Chris Murphy. He's a high-ranking Democrat, so this is he's a member of President Biden's party. And he announced that he supports calls to freeze new military aid to Saudi Arabia and obviously continue supporting Ukraine. But he even wants to suspend the sale of some air-to-air missiles to Saudi Arabia, repurpose those to Ukraine. Um, he also has even said that the U.S. should consider moving its Patriot missile batteries from Saudi Arabia. Um, they're currently used to defend oil infra- infrastructure in Saudi Arabia against drone attacks. And if you recall, there have been some oil infrastructure um, hit by drones that were fired from Yemen, which Saudi Arabia is. There's a war with Yemen, and we probably need to cover that at some point. But if you're in the know, so to speak, and keep up with some foreign policy, you know that there's been a war there for years. But uh, Senator Chris Murphy wants to move those Patriot batteries to NATO allies on the eastern flank to places like Poland and Romania, or even transfer them to uh, Ukrainian partners, so just move the Patriot missiles to Ukraine. So those are some pretty strong words. I don't in the short term see how things get better with Saudi Arabia and given what's happening in Iran right now um, there could be some pretty big alignment in the Middle East let me cover the Iran thing real quick and then I'll tell you one thing about the realignment so we've talked about the protest in Iran where um, women and females are absolutely just sick and tired of the morality police and having to wear Head headwear, you know, hijabs. And so those protests have been raging. They've been mostly in various cities of different sizes. The, Ukra- uh, the Iranians have been cracking down on them some. There have been lots of people killed. But if you listen to analysts about it, I've been listening to several on, on um, some different podcasts and reading what they've said in some columns. It does seem like the Iranian government realizes it needs to give way a little bit, um, that this is almost too dangerous, and so they're going to have to make some concessions. And so the Iranian government appears a little scared. They haven't clamped down as aggressively or brutally as they could. So I think they realize that they've they've got to give a little ground. And an interesting thing, back to that realignment um, item I mentioned, is if you look at the Iranian government... It's obviously authoritarian, it's very religious, it's very anti-American. But if you talk to uh, foreign policy people who travel there, um, I'll name drop one just off the top of my head. David Ignatius, who writes for the Washington Post, and he's obviously a big name in the foreign policy arena. He's been there twice um, somewhat recently, and he was talking about that if you go to events where there aren't necessarily Iranian government officials around, that you realize how sophisticated the culture and how almost pro-American many of the Iranian people are. And so he was on a podcast 
with James Carville, who's obviously a big-name Democratic strategist and has been for decades now. And they were talking about how if, by chance, the Iranian people were able to overthrow their government, that it would seem like Iran would possibly be a better strategic partner for the Middle East than Saudi Arabia, which Saudi Arabia is obviously a very backward society. And so... Kind of a crazy idea. I have no idea how possible something like that would be. But uh, from the things I've read, it would certainly be, I think, more in line with the people of Iran if something like that were to happen. Um, I did want to share one other thing in the source notes. I've got a video from CNN. It's about a minute and 43 minutes long. And it's from uh, the reporter Christiane uh, Amitpour. And she talks about that while there are many countries in the Middle East that wants to see Iran weakened, very few of them actually want um, women and young girls to succeed. And that's because they know that, you know, Muslim women are watching this and they kind of fear a backlash as well. So I think that's something to keep in mind as we watch what happens in Iran. So we'll see in the coming days and weeks if those protests get stronger or if there's um, more of a type of concessions made by the Iranian government and they're able to get, you know, the people to calm down a bit. Okay, guys, so we'll move to the motivation and inspiration part now. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it's helps. it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that Motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree, and one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager, and so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously, but for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life because it's hard to be around people that don't believe that suck the energy out of you or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. Um, but for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said, so... That's why I try to put these in every week, so I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. 
As a reminder, each of these can be found in the source notes at my Substack, and these are all great people to follow. I'm not going to name each one. You can find them and follow them yourself if you'd like, if you want motivation more than just once a week. Here's the first one. Nothing worth having comes easy. I like that one, and it's true. (laughs) Next one. Hope is a strategy. Too many say it isn't. Yes, it needs to be followed by action. But don't underestimate the power of hope. It, ke- it keeps you going when you want to quit. Because you have hope for tomorrow, you take one more step today. That was fo- uh, said by John Gordon, who's actually a great follow on, on Twitter if you're the kind of person who gets on Twitter sometimes. Next one. If you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. That's a good one. Next one. You succeed by doing, not by thinking about doing. That's a reminder for all the procrastinators out there, including myself sometimes. Next one. We can change our lives. We can do, have, and be exactly what we wish. I like that one. And for those who say it's not true, and you could make the pretty strong argument that it might not be true, but it's kind of, man, I I can't imagine living in a world where I can't control some part of of my destiny, at least. I, I, I don't like thinking that I have absolutely no free will, so I think we can do some things, and I think we can change our lives, so I assume you do, too, or you wouldn't be listening right now. All right, next one. Life begins when you start something and blooms when you keep doing it. Ooh, that is a great quote. We all sometimes quit a little too soon, don't we? All right, next one. Plan with surgical precision. Precision. Schedule and lock the door behind you. That is a great one, because we all let life get in our way, don't we? Next one. The secret of staying young is to live honestly, eat slowly, and lie about your age. That is a hilarious quote from uh, Lucille Ball. I happened to just come across that on Twitter and thought I would save it. Uh, Next one. Surround yourself with the right people. You are the company you keep. Another good one. Next one. One of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. I like that one. I may have shared that one before, but even if I did, I think there's probably some people out there that should get involved at the local, state, or higher level. I think uh, given the people that are out there right now that are in some of those positions, um probably shouldn't judge yourself too harshly and wonder whether you should or not. You've probably got the qualifications and you probably got your heart in the right place, which I can't say everyone does at the higher levels. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist. 
and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a twice-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So, That'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but... Folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action, a couple of cops die before the end of book one, and if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown, book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what... um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akov, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl 
um, is hot, and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really, the book is, it's it's pretty deep. And so it, the, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and I think you know and I've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan it's called Hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation, and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um, and then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is, actually, it's a part biography, part self-help all-inspiration-type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And Besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, I'll throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some. And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you. Kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking. How he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so... It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help type stuff. And so, you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents and... I could go for on for probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, 
and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. So I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.